And welcome to Torah Talks Chazak special Tuesday night program with special guest tonight. We have with us a very dear friend of Chazak, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubinstein. Rabbi, welcome. Shalom Aleichem. How are you doing? I am extremely fine and even better for speaking to one of my very favorite organizations in the world, Chazak. Thank you very much, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubinstein, world-renowned lecturer and author. Uh, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubinstein, tonight's topic we're going to be discussing uh, why do very bad things happen to very good people? But before we get to this uh, interesting topic, if we could uh, share with our broad audience a little bit more background about yourself. There is no intro needed. Everybody is aware and knows the rabbi's great work. Rabbi has been to Chazak many, many, many years. And uh, I'll never forget that lecture that you did about elections. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happened to be that tonight, today in in in, in uh, New York uh, is, is elections. Uh, uh, but... Uh, Anyways, yeah, a little bit back. I think we had to edit that one quite heavily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Oh, my background. Yeah. Um, to let people know a little about me. Well, I'll give you a hint. Uh, if you want to know, first of all, because I was actually speaking yesterday, and somebody said to me, uh, where are you from? Australia? No. England? God forbid. Um, what? Uh, where do I come from? So to give you all a hint, there. <laughs> that's where I come from. So in case you don't know what that is, I'll get out of the way. Yes. That's, it. I, that's actually, I'm the guy just, I'm a move up side, uh, other bit, that's me just behind there, uh, blowing the bagpipes. So as you can probably guess, I come from Scotland. Uh, and I grew up in Scotland. And when I was 19, I moved to Manchester in England. Uh, because Jewish education in Glasgow was not very, uh, not very uh, extensive. Most of us had to learn privately with Rabonim, which I did. But if you wanted to get into Gates of Shiva, which was my uh, probably my proudest achievement, leaving aside my wife, uh, my late wife, my current wonderful wife, and my children, then I would have to say that being able to have been a Talmud of Gates of Shiva that was that. But it's 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 a world class achievement, and I needed to do a bit of catching up. So I lived in Manchester for a year, and then I managed to get into Gates of Shiva when I was there for seven years, where I became a speaker, and then another three years in Cowell, and then the rest was, uh, well, <laughs> well, the rest was history. Rabbi, uh, you... I used to broadcast a lot on, on radio and right. uh, BBC, in fact. There, there was a whole people. story with this BBC situation. I remember yeah. uh, I got a bunch of uh, messages saying, Chazak is famous, Chazak is famous. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? They sent me pictures of the rabbi giving a lecture at Chazak with uh, with the Chazak background, and it was on all the news websites and stuff. There was some sort of a story with that, that the rabbi used to be on BBC with millions of uh, listeners and stuff, and then the rabbi uh, left. Uh, could you fill us in about that? Uh, yeah, I, I broadcast on I broadcast on BBC uh, for uh, thirty three years, and BBC is radio and TV, and people in America find it hard to get their minds around this, but it's the biggest broadcaster in the world by far. Bigger than CNN, bigger than uh, bigger than Disney. That's how huge it is. There are TV channels, national and local, like local BBC London, BBC Manchester. They have got national TV channels from the grave um, to the to you know to wait for old people, sports. I mean, and there's something called CBBS. A CBBS is is you know when, for little kids. I'll give you a hint. Um, right, so basically, 
uh, that's where that came from. But they, they, they take you from cradle to grave. I mean, all the news, it comes from there. And frankly, they're extremely brilliant at what they do, but they're also not very fond of Jews. Officially, they are. And of course, they hide, like almost everybody, their hatred of Jews behind hatred of Israel, Zionism, Zionists. Do you know that, the, Robert Merov, do you know what the English, the, the English definition of anti-Semitism is? No. Hating Jews more than is absolutely necessary. So I, when I was first asked to become a regular broadcaster on BBC Radio, at that time, the only two orthodox voices on BBC was Lord Jonathan Sachs, oh. an old chum of mine, and, uh, and myself. And I wasn't sure whether this was the right thing for a Gateshead boy to be doing. But I asked um, my role of the Gateshead role of Rabbi Rakov, and he was very keen. But I also discussed it with the Moshkiach of Gateshead Yeshiva Nuzdes, who was Ramatzio Solomon. He's now, of course, the Moshkiach, the, the rabbi in charge of the direction, the philosophical direction, the, the welfare of the boys, which Moshkiach means in this sense. And he was not so keen. And he said, look, if you're trying to do this to make a Kiddush Hashem, or to be Makara Rechokim, if you want to make, bring God's name into good repute, or to reach out to other Jews, forget it. But if you're doing it simply as, a, as an income, that's perfectly respectable. So, mm-hmm. but my role, he felt it was more of an ability to uh, portray Orthodox Jews and Torah in a way which would reach thousands of people. I'm actually, I mean, my when I when I broadcast the BBC World Service, the minimum audience is 156 million people. Wow! And then the, the the regular shows that I used to appear on, which was weekly, would be 20 million people. I mean, the UK is 70 million people, so I used to speak to you know a quarter or a fifth of the population every week. So that was big. What were you uh, talking about? Like current events, Torah? Yeah, you would have me on. Yeah, current events. I remember. <laughs> The telephone rang one morning at four o'clock. My late wife picked up the phone and it was somebody from the BBC. Can we speak to Rabbi YY? And, um, and so she passed the chase. It's the BBC. Well, the BBC were always phoning me, but if they're phoning at four o'clock in the morning, that's mm-hmm. you know, that about? And I was actually quite scared because uh, the BBC, some lady said, uh, hello, Rabbi YY, it's, uh, whoever it is, um, you've probably heard the terrible news. And of course, I'm asleep oh, already. Yeah. Terrible news. I hope I didn't wake you up, she said. No, no, I've just come back from jogging. <laughs> um, <laughs> she said, Princess Diana, uh, Lady Di, had been killed in that mm. thing in Paris. Um, would you come on and speak about it? So I was often brought in to speak about world news, certainly world news as it uh, involved Jews, which right. would be Israel and Jews in the UK. But also, I used to write programs for the BBC. Um, and appeared in programs like Religion and Humour. Uh, and that was, yeah, so I was there for a long time. But this year they crossed over the line and they manufactured an accusation against Jews, not mm. against Israelis. Some Israeli kids were being given a tour of Oxford Street, which is the big shopping street in London. And they were all Israelis. And it was a, a double-decker bus, you know, you see, like the tourist buses again in New York. Right. But that's the standard bus in, in England. And it was, it was Hanukkah, so they got down and they were dancing in the street. And they were surrounded by a bunch of Muslims who started threatening them, throwing things at them, throwing shoes at them, spitting at them, Heil Hitler. Oh, uh, the kids were forced onto the bus. And the BBC had to have report this because people with their cell phones are taking pictures of this. A massive racist attack in the heart of London. 
um, when they reported it, they also said, but uh, there's reports that some of the Jews shouted anti-Muslim slogans. But that was a lie, a completely manufactured lie. In fact, none of the kids could speak English. One of them said, Zedekhuf, it was recorded, Zedekhuf, this situation's uh, serious, somebody should phone somebody. Um, but the BBC translated that into dirty Muslims. Well, when they were exposed that it was a complete lie, uh, they dug themselves deeper and deeper into a hole. And at that point, I didn't feel that I could in all consciousness of my name attached to the BBC anymore or their name attached to me. And so even though I took a financial hit, obviously, because it was a part of my income, um, I stand with my people, as I'm sure every single person who is wow. a part of Khazak and who is watching this do as well. It's far more important for me to make a statement. Wow. And it's been all over the world. Do you know, yeah. there was a, was a, you heard of Simon and Garfunkel. I'm sure. I've, heard of, I've heard of it. I, I there, there was a like big, both Jewish. And when Paul Simon went single, there was a, there was a single, and he went solo. It was a single. Do you I, I'm guessing this is a long time ago because I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, you're just a boy. You're just. Oh, okay, before my. Um, and, and so am I. Uh, I dye my hair white so people take me seriously. <laughs> it's really red. But anyway, so basically, um, in this thing, there's a song called Me and Julio Danba in the schoolyard, which was playing all over the place. So, you know, when you're, when you're going places, you, these things pop into your head. And there was a line, in, in, and, and I got my face in the cover of Newsweek. The guy in the song. I never thought I would be in the cover of Newsweek. But all over the world, media all over the world, picked up this, this story. Famous British rabbi, or senior, I think it'll call me senior British rabbi. I'm sure the other British rabbis would disagree with that definition. Senior British rabbi, he's American now, he left us. Um, uh, you know, I quit the BBC. And it became a huge, huge story. Yes. Yeah, like, like, I to, like I told you, Rabbi, well, well, one of the pictures that were associated to these news websites was Rabbi speaking at the Chazakaman. So we, it was, we, we were, yeah, it was well, filling over to us the, the PR yeah. in a sense. <laughs> Kazakh is not exclusively, but often, oftentimes, as they say here, uh, targeting the Bukharian and Sephardi community. Uh, Bukharians, Baruch Hashem, and Sephardi are generally, they, they know no matter their level of observance, but they know where their loyalties lie and it's to the Jewish people. When you get into the Ashkenazi world, the more assimilated world, generations in America, not so clear cut. Um, so of course, Kazakh, you know, it's a, it's a good coincidence. I was talking to Kazakh. <laughs> Kazakh. Kazakh people would understand why a Jew would want to leave the BBC. Unbelievable. Big Kiddush Hashem, Yishikach for that, Rabbi. And uh, very interesting, Rabbi. Your background's unbelievable. Yagadah Torah, you should continue spreading the light. And Rabbi even mentioned that he's an author of over a dozen books that I know of, at least. I'm sure there's others. And uh, just for the record, Rabbi, you've been doing a changing of virtual backgrounds. You did the Manchester, you did Teletubbies, I think it was. Uh, the background is a real farm shop, or this is one of those. Uh... No, this is a, a real farm shop. I'll go over here and I'll get you one of my books off the shelf so you can actually see it. Which one? This one. Not oh, one. wow. Not this one. <laughs> Look at this. This you've got to see. <laughs> What's over here? One of my favorite. I'm an, I'm, please forgive me, but I'm an Ashkenazi. Really? Yeah, I know, I know Sephardi <laughs> are far more tolerant of Jews who are not really quite. 100% Jewish. Um, but I'm, a, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. However, my, my lifelong love affair is with my favorite commentator, the Al Sheikh HaKodesh. Uh, the Al Sheikh HaKodesh, of course, who uh, 
who came. I don't know if I've got background for that. Just to put that one up. Just to... <laughs> I think I might. No, no, no. I've got a background in one of my others and Skype, I think it is, of the, the Alshus Shul. Mm -hmm. In fact, I translated two of his works, his, his Haggadah and his Pirkei Avot. But um, I'm, he was a, a, a student of the author of the, of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo. He gave him smicha and he was the Avbet Din of Sfat. Um, and I've been, I've been a huge, huge admirer of his approach to Torah, his analysis of Torah for many years. And when I moved to this area in Long Island where we live, um, then somebody asked me to learn with him. So we studied Al-Sheikh, of course, for, uh, for two years. And uh, then he gave me this as a gift. And this is a first edition of the Al-Sheikh. Wow. It was printed in 1603. A long time ago. 2,025 years ago. Um, the cover is actually pigskin, which is kosher and it's not a problem. Pigskin makes a, has a good leather. Uh, it was one, at one point, it was sold, I don't know if you can see that, for a thousand pounds. don't know how much this young man bought it for me. But it was owned by one of the authors of the Yalkut Neam Loez, somebody called Rechia Pantrimoni. So we're keeping this very nice and safari. Wow. And it was printed by the Alshuk's son. So there you are, uh, uh, holding a book in my hand, uh, 425 years old, uh, by the son of my, my greatest teacher, probably. Um, wow. So yes, so there you are. Um, okay, so this farm shop, are, are, it's really a These are real. Shop. These are real. real <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Yes, so, yeah, good job. There's more than that. <laughs> We're just making sure, Rabbi Waiwei. Okay, so Rabbi Waiwei, like we mentioned before, uh, the topic is uh, one that is very, very serious, uh, that uh, why do very, very bad things happen to very, very good people? If we could jump into it, dive in head first, if you could uh, shed some light on the topic, would really appreciate it, Rabbi Waiwei Rubenstein. Well, it, it, it's it's a, a if this was live, I think it's going to be pre pre recorded and then edited to make it all nice and professional, which is typical of Kazakh anyway. Um, but if it was live, then people could contribute. Or when I'm saying this lecture in front of a large audience, I very often ask. Um, I start by saying, "Please put up your hand if you've not had any tough times in your life." I guess you had no hands up. I never had a hand going up. Isn't that wow. interesting? Never had a hand going up. Um, and of course, the question is or the point is that absolutely everybody has had tough times in their life. Everybody it's, has difficulty. It goes with the territory. Life, hmm, life can sometimes get a tiny bit tricky. Um, Are you looking for a virtual background for that, Rabbi? I don't. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try and get you one of those. Um, so I actually have one, but I'm not going to put up. Um, anyway, so basically, so everybody's had tough times. Everybody has difficulties in life. It's, right? it's it just, that's the way life goes. So the first thing you have to realize when things go tough in your life is you're not the only one to have this in your life. I translated one of my books you very kindly mentioned, which I have here, is a translation of the classic other Sephardi Another classic work, Chovat uh, Halavot, um, and uh, so the Chovat Halavot I translated is called Refuat Halev. Incidentally, don't try buying this one, particularly online. Do you know how much this is selling for at the moment online? Twelve hundred dollars. Because they think it's out of print. It's not out of print. 
but they think it's a print. And uh, so they are, uh, are you hearing me clearly incidentally? Yeah, very clear. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, I, I'm about to reprint. This will be the fourth reprinting. It's very, very popular. It's an incredibly important book. It's a classic, uh, as I say, written by Svadi, who lived in Saragossa, London, Spain. Um, Rabino Bachia, he was called. There's two Rabino Bachias in Sally, 200 years apart. Uh, both live in the same city, which is called Sargos, which is interesting. But the third chapter in this book, um, he writes about some of the very, very greatest of, of, of Jewish history. All ask the question, why did very bad things happen to very good people? So the first thing that is a comfort is there's nothing wrong with asking the question. Moshe Rabbeinu, lo kombi Yisrael k'moshe there was nobody as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. He asked the question. When Hashem sent him to save the Jewish people, and things instead of getting better for the Jewish people got profoundly worse, and Jewish babies were being stuffed into holes left in the walls bricks. because they didn't have enough bricks because they stopped supplying them with the straw to make the bricks. Moshe returns, and this is the Pasuk, at the very end of Shemot, Lama Hariota Laam Hazeh. Why, Hashem? Moshe says this to Hashem. Why have you done bad to the Jewish people? From the moment I came to speak in your name, it's got worse. So here, this is so important. That's Moshe's question. But that's, and he's the greatest Jew. So if Moshe can have the question, don't be surprised if you find us in the third chapter of Chavot when he asks the question and points out that David Melech asked the question, Chabuk, Navi, prophet, asked the question. And he brings a ton of Navi'im, of prophets who ask the question. So it's okay to ask the question. Um, and then he says, but why do they ask the question, but they don't give an answer? So why do they give an answer? As, there, as when the Rambam says a very interesting philosophical point about how God can know what you're going to do before you do it, you can still have freedom of choice. Uh, when he says that, one of the famous commentators says, how can you ask the question and not give us an answer? That's not the way of Chachamim. Chachamim asks questions, but something called the rivet. He says, well, you didn't give an answer. If you look carefully, the, the Rambam is, of course, giving an answer. Um, but obviously one that didn't please the rivet too much. But why did the all these, David and Melech, and why didn't they give us the answer? And he says a very simple answer, a response, because there's not one answer for everybody. Why one person has to suffer? Why one person goes through tough times? It's unique to him or her. Um, and you can't, and here's something I have from Ribbison Heller, uh, who, no, Ribbison Gottlieb Heller, or Ribbison Gottlieb, my famous rabbi professor, Dr. David Gottlieb. I'm very lucky. When you speak on the international circuit, you get often to speak with other uh, speakers and subjects and, and great, great people. And Ribbison Heller said something very interesting. When something goes wrong in your life, the Talmud and Brachot, um, Tracted Brachot on page 5a, says the correct Jewish response is to say, did I perhaps do something that could have provoked this? Now, don't beat yourself up over this, because sometimes the answer is no. But is there anything I, is this a message? Could I be putting something right? Do I owe somebody money? I've not paid it back. Have, have I hurt somebody's feelings? I should ask for, for forgiveness. Um, but sometimes uh, you, when things go wrong, you can find something you did wrong. But certainly it's a, it's a positive Jewish response to turn around and say, did, am I in any way to blame for this? That's that's okay, but again, the answer might well be no. Um, sometimes God makes things happen, and it's not your fault. But the important thing is, as Reverend Heaven said, 
You're supposed to question yourself, but don't question somebody else. Don't have the chutzpah, the azut, um, to turn around when you see somebody else suffering and say, oh, I know why he's suffering. <laughs> it's because that you're not allowed to... I've got to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? Please, we love stories, Rabbi. This story happened to me just before COVID, um, or I was involved in the story. And I'm, I'm unfortunately, I've forgotten the name of the rabbi, but he's a wonderful person and people will probably be able to supply us with the name. The rabbi of the young Israel of Staten Island phoned me up. Something had happened in the show in his in Beit HaKnesset, which really upset everybody. Somebody had dropped a Sefer Torah. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the show when a Sefer Torah drops, but it is so upsetting. And, and people actually go, <gasps> and they try, try to reach out to, to grab it. Now, you may be sort of like, you know, 50 yards back. It doesn't, but imagine a child dropping. <gasps> That's how much Cloud Israel feels about our Torah, our Sefer Torah. Yeah. And, and it was a, it was an Ashkenazi one, which means it's perhaps even worse because the you know the parchment could you know right. like roll out like roll a out. kitchen yeah. roll or something, uh, which you won't get in a, in a beautiful Sephardi one, which is in a nice case. But anyway, so he, this fellow dropped the Sefer Torah. The entire Beit Knesset, the entire community was upset, so they decided to have a, a Yom Limud, a, a day, day of learning, in order to, as it were, maybe put things right. Address supply in a sense. That's right. Which is, a, a, as we said, it's a correct Jewish response. Well, this is not just for an individual, something went wrong, but now for a whole kila, a whole klal, a whole community. So they want to invite well-known speakers to come and speak to the community on this topic. And I was very honoured to be asked to give the first lecture. So the rabbi asked me, could I come? And I said, of course I would come. And, and I came. And the entire bit again, they said, full, absolutely full. And when it was completely filled up, the rabbi, young fellow, no, it's a, it's a young Israel, so it's, it's quite broad. You know, people who are, let's say, more modern Orthodox from people who are Haredi, so it's quite a, a nice spectrum. Um, so he stood up there and introduced what the day was all about. So he recalled, you all know why we're here. We all know that a safer term was dropped. And, well, everybody has been very, very upset. Uh, and I, obviously, as your rabbi, was very upset as well. And I went over and over in my mind, what message might, might we be getting that this happened to us? What, what is Hashem telling us? So I thought, mm, what could we improve on? Well, he said, I'm not the sort of rabbi who stands up there and bangs his fist on the bimans. No, that's not my style. And clearly it wasn't. He was a very gentle, sweet fellow. Um, he said, but when thinking about it, I think we could take our tefillah a little bit more seriously. If I'm really being honest, and because the Sefer Torah fell, maybe I'd have to admit there's too much talking during tefillah. Maybe, maybe that's one thing. Maybe we could improve that. Then I thought to myself, tzedakah. As far as I know, we all give tzedakah. Jews are good at giving tzedakah particularly Sfadi money. Uh, but anyway, so but maybe we could do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And the third thing he says is Kavod Torah, honouring the Torah itself. I mean, the Sefer Torah, which fell. Right. And maybe that we could do a little bit more on. I mean, when, he says very often when a, a guest rabbi comes, like we're having today, he said, then people, of course, come 
to honor the rabbi and to listen to what he has to say. But if we're really being honest, because of what happened, more of us could come. Mm. We do a Shabbaton, etc. More of us could come. But after I thought about that, I remembered who it was that dropped the Sefer Torah. And then he said to these to the, to the audience, now, you all know who it was that dropped the Sefer Torah. And, and I'm going like this. And in case you don't know, he said, I'm going to tell you who dropped the Sefer Torah. And my, my jaw dropped. As Rabbi Merov will know, I'm sure everybody knows, that can, the one of the worst things you can possibly do is to embarrass somebody in public. And now he's going to say the name of the person. And he said, I can't remember the guy's name. Let's say it for a bit of it. I hope it wasn't. I'm just making that up. Right? Um, it was David Rabinovitz. David Rabinovitz who dropped the Sefer Torah. I just couldn't believe that. And the reason I tell you that it was David Rabinovitz that dropped the Sefer Torah is because the three reasons I thought about that maybe this happened don't apply to him. Tefillah, he never speaks during Tefillah. He's always the first there for the Minyan. He prays po- properly with Kavanah. He speaks to Hashem like a son who speaks to his father. So it can't be that. Uh, and then Tzedakah, he's not a rich person, but he always puts his hand in his pocket. He always gives what he can give. Kavodah Torah, He's the first through the door when there's ever a rabbi who comes to give a guest, a guest sheet or a lecture. So why on earth, of all the people in the synagogue that this could have happened to, why is it not happened So he said, I went to discuss it with Reb David Feinstein, Reb Moshe Feinstein's son, also Rosh Hashiva, huge god. And he heard the question, and in a second he had the answer. So well, of course it had to be him. Because if it was anybody else in the synagogue, people would say, oh, Rubenstein. I know why it happened to Rubenstein, because he speaks during dabbling. Miro, because he doesn't give enough money to Siddhartha. Uh, Robbie, <laughs> because he doesn't come and listen to Nafshirim or whatever. It, but no. People will find excuses for why it happened. And because they couldn't make that excuse in the case of David Rubenowitz, they can't say it's his fault. Mm. It's her fault. Wow. Right? It's her fault. So, when something goes wrong in your life, you go to turn around. So, let's go back to that Gemara. That Gemara is really interesting. Something goes wrong. Remember, rightly. Page 5a. So, the Gemara says something goes wrong in your life. And we all agreed at the beginning of our very nice podcast here that that applies to all of us. So, you got to say, Did I do anything wrong? So, I'll make it me. Something goes wrong, and I, I, I just, I just cut myself with a razor blade. So something okay. goes, <laughs> goes wrong uh, with Rubenstein's life. Incidentally, the answer it went wrong is because you're an idiot, like I was. In you know, I, my wife has got a, a razor blade tool because she's now making um, sourdough halas, and I thought, I wonder if that razor blade can cut off hairs in the blade. It's so sharp, but it's curved. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now, don't turn and say, well, Almighty, why did you, Hashem, why did you let this happen to me? Because you might have a voice saying, I didn't. You idiot. You did it to you. So you've got to be aware of the possibility that, you know, um, that you did something stupid, right? And it's just because you did something stupid and God was not willing to spend the laws of physics because of your stupidity. Okay, so that's the first thing. Okay, something goes wrong in your life. 
did I do anything wrong? So leaving aside my stupid cut in my hand, I'll then imagine something financial, something whatever, somebody said something nasty about me and it's upset me. So I think, well, did, did, I, did I do anything wrong? The Talmud says, if you find that the answer to that is no, you're supposed to say, hmm, well, if it's not something bad I did, perhaps it's something good that I should have done. And if the answer to that is no, they've got to say, all oh, right, in that case, God's giving me these tests. Yesurim shalahaba. He's giving me tests in life because he loves me. Now, if at that point you think Judaism is crazy, I mean, he's giving me suffering because he God loves, loves me, so he gives me we'll suffering. We'll come back to that in a second. Let's <laughs> rewind the tape. Okay, back to the beginning. Something goes wrong in Rubinstein's life. Financial, hugely financial. I have financial problems in my life. Right? So I think, is there anything I could have done? In my case, it should be tzedakah. That would be the logical one to imagine. Uh, but if the answer is I've given all my tzedakah, then I'm supposed to say the next one. Okay, so here's me. Something's gone wrong in my life. Did, did I ever do anything wrong that could have justified this? No, no. The Amer- it's an American phrase I keep trying to master, but Americans tell me I get it wrong. It goes like this. Duh. Who is not going to be able to answer? And it's something wrong in your life? Is it anything I did wrong? Duh. We all do things wrong. Now, if you doubted that the rabbi's got a sense of humor, well, look at the next bit of the Gemara. So if the answer to that is no, who's going to say no? Then the answer has the question, did it something right that I should have done that I failed to do? No, 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 no. Who's going to do that? Who's going to get past the first stage? Certainly, who's going to get past the second stage? They can say that God's doing it because Yeshurim, Yeshurim Shalahava. He's doing it because He likes you. Are you off your head? What's that mean? Here's a very important little message. You, when things go wrong in your life, you either become better or bitter. Ooh. Better. Or bitter, and the difference between the two is I. Better or bitter, bitter with an I. It depends on I. The difference is I. What choices are you going to make? When things go wrong, you can be somebody who grows enormously from it. Don't just go through the experience, grow. And then, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I don't know the, the Russian or Bukharian or Hebrew word for even it is. I don't think it is Hebrew word. A nebuch. Somebody who's saying the English word, pitiful. Oh, I feel sorry for me. I had a tough background. Who doesn't have a tough background? A terrible parent. Oh, yeah, did your father try to burn you to death having cut your throat like Avram tried to do to Yitzchok? Or your father, his father, Tara, tried to get him burned in the furnace? Mm, I don't think so. Jews often have tough times and still overcome them. So that's not really much of an excuse, ultimately. But even if you have had tough times, what are you going to do with those? I wrote a book. This little book here. This is called The Little Book. The Little Book for Big Worries. Okay. Uh, And then at the bottom it's called, can you see that? Dealing with Serious Illness. Dealing with Serious Illness. So my late wife died after five years of cancer. And um, as a consequence, um, because I know about this subject, one of my closest friends from yeshiva days, his daughter got married, lovely girl. Two weeks later, she had a pain in the arm. A week after that, they amputated her arm at the shoulder. Um, 
And I think six months of that, she passed away. Oh, wow. So when, before she passed away, the family, knowing that I'd written about suffering in an essay for the newspaper Hamadiyya, they asked uh, for copies of that essay. And I sent it to them all. I think it was 14 copies, something like that. And my son said to me, I've got sons a huge Tamad Chacham, and he said to me, Dad, you should write, make that into a book. It'll be the most important book you've written to date. Wow. Now, because it's uh, the little book for big worries, and it's a very little book, it's got some medical things in it, um, I wanted to make it small so people could carry it with them when they're going to a hospital. I wanted to make the messages simple so it would help them how to deal with doctors. It's written for people looking after people who are sick, not for the sick people themselves. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing is, well, I'll tell you what happened. Because I gave it that title, and I put the subtitle, Dealing with Serious Illness, this arrived in all the bookstores, and you can see them in a nice big pile. Well, it sold almost none. Because when people saw the word serious illness, <gasps> I actually saw somebody picking it up, looking at it, got to that bit, and went, <laughs> you know what Jews are like. <laughs> I see the word illness, so it becomes sick. So it sold almost none in the stores. But people who were sick, who got hold of a copy, somehow it spoke to them, but it wasn't designed to. It spoke to them. And because it spoke to them, there was one guy in Brooklyn, himself who had cancer. It's not only about cancer, it's a serious illness, physical illness. Um, but he went out and he bought 50 copies. Wow. And when he went to Stro- Sloan Kettering for his treatments, he would go up to people who were in the waiting room for the chemotherapy or the radiotherapy, whatever it was, and say, are you Jewish? Yes. Here, have this book. Wow. And after he'd given away 50, he bought another 50. By the time this poor fellow passed away, he'd given away 500 copies. Wow. There's almost none left. In fact, my, my, uh, my publisher, uh, Israel Bookshop in, in Lakewood, who's also the owner of a huge big st- bookstore there, uh, they actually asked me yesterday, could you send us two boxes? They're sold out. Wow. I'll have to reprint this book when it's finished. I'm actually writing another book for children who've lost a parent, which is one of my two books I'm writing at the moment. But the thing is that when I wrote this book, and I, I promise you there's almost no month that goes by without a complete stranger coming up and saying to me, um, you don't know me, but when my mother was sick or my father was sick or my siblings were sick or God forbid a child, it was that book that got us through it. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. I know that you've had lost people. But would I have volunteered for the experience of having a wife who was sick with cancer for five years and seeing my six children having lost their mother? And as you probably know, when you're dealing with cancer, there's so many crises and so many panics and so many false alarms and so many, you know, as it gets. I always liken it to dropping a plate or do you remember a drummer's cymbal? If they drop the cymbal, it goes like... And that's what cancer's like. At the beginning, it's like... Oh, and then... It's like, and then right? right, cancer can be like... But anyway, so basically, if you were to ask me would I volunteer for the experience that would make me qualified and able to write this book, I would say absolutely not. I would volunteer for the exact opposite. Let somebody else write the book. But as Hashem had different ideas about this, different plans about this, then you either become better or or bitter. Are you going to use the experience positively or negatively? And that makes all the difference. So this little book has helped thousands thousands of people. 
Uh, is, is, is it available in local bookstores? That one you can get in the bookstores. It's still it, they could. I know that the rabbi also has a website, askrabbiyy.com. Askrabbiyy.com, yeah. They could ask any question to the rabbi over there? Absolutely. You also got a Facebook page. You can find me there. Um, got, and uh, the books are available. The, the YouTube channel, I put my Alshik Shiro up every week and uh, ask the Torah anytime as well. And you find some are, issue, I think, of Kazakh's page as well. The books are on the, the website as well for purchase? Yes, yes, you can get them directly from me or you get them in a good bookstore. It'd probably be a little bit cheaper from me, actually. But, uh-huh. uh, you know, if you want to go, this book you might need in a hurry. It, it, it discusses the topic that we're talking about tonight. The topic oh, of yes. what? Oh, very, very much. It also talks about what happens after somebody dies. And uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot. It, it's worth. It's the sort of book that every, this is a chutzpah saying I'm the guy who wrote it, but the sort of book that every every Jew should have in his bookshelf or her bookshelf. It's the sort of book like the Jewish Book of Mourning that they have. Everybody needs it because you're going to need it one day. We all want our children to be sitting shiva for us one day. Do we not? The alternative is not accepted. You never wanted to be the other way about. We want our children to be saying Shiva for us. So After at some 120, point, usually we want it. 120. But when, you know, your prince are 120 and they've gone to Olam Haba, um, Olam HaEmet, uh, and you want to know what to do, you get down the book that you never wanted to bring down from the bookshelf. Huh. Well, you will be helped. And remember, the book was written for people who are helping people who are sick because you want to do that the right way, not to say the wrong thing. There's two chapters on how to speak properly, not to say the wrong thing, which will discourage instead of giving hope. There's lots how to speak to doctors. There's a lot in the book, even right. though it's little. So, but you want to make sure that uh, you have that in your bookshelf. Uh, but that should be straight away because you'll be dealing with people who are going through bad times. You want to, to have good tips as to how to, how to do so, well. So, so the tactless answer for why very bad things happen to very good people, a regalachas, a one-foot rabbi, is what? We don't know, because every person has their own account in heaven. Somebody might be in the black, somebody might be in the in the red. Somebody might be absolutely okay, but the experience itself can make them a far greater person. And it's your job to allow that experience to make you better, not better. Is the answer of Gilgulim an answer that's given? Yes, Gilgul Neshamot is an extreme... Reincarnation of a certain soul that needs to deal with a tikkun, yes. a vacation. Yeah, no, of course, because many of our listeners will be Sfardim, then, of course, in the Sfardi, uh, Mesorah, Sfardi tradition, the Kabbalah is very, very much mainstream. Whereas in the Ashkenazi tradition, it's before the Hasidim uh, broke on the scene, is very much more hidden and kept quiet. Although the Ramban, who is the greatest Kabbalist, uh, in history, till his time, even the Arizal was eclipsed by the Ramban. There's very little reference in the writing of Nachmanides, the Ramban, who lived in Barcelona, in what today is called Spain, but it wasn't called Spain when he lived there. Uh, very little reference. Now, he was a Sfadi, of course, one of the Sfadim of all time, <laughs> one of the rabbis of all time, Ashkenaz Sfadi, who cares? Um, but uh, there's very little reference to, to Kabbalah there. But um, my one of my great teachers, I mentioned him before, Ramatasiel Solomon. Amen. He does need a refush Um So he he danced at my oh, oh. prove that it's not a uh, virtual background. Oh, 
<laughs> Pictures on top of my bookshelves. Oh, okay. This is me in the Matasiel Solomon uh, above. I don't know if you can see that very clearly. I see it, yeah. You yeah, see the rabbi in the Two years ago. Oh, wow. You're not, not, yeah, it's a very nice picture. But this, gosh, 21, oh, gosh, this is 46 years ago at my wedding. Wow. Solomon with the red beard, which is now a white beard, obviously. We're all doing white beards. That is so fashionable. And that's my Rosh Hashiva of Liv Gurubitz, the Rosh Hashiva of Gateshead. They were dancing in front of me. You can't see me in the picture. And, uh, <laughs> that was the first time the Rosh Hashiva was an old man had danced at a wedding for, I think, 10 years. And the Bochrim went crazy. <laughs> it was such an order. Such wow, an order. so interesting. Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein, uh, before we have our minhag, our custom of having a one final message and thought, I just want to give a shout out and a thank you to Yechil Kuverstein from Lakewood for suggesting Rabbi Weiber Rubinstein for Chazak's Torah Talks. Thank you. And we always encourage everyone and our listeners to send in uh, requests. Uh, a shout out to seemyomi.org, which is a new initiative that he started that Chazak's getting involved with as well. So we wanted to do that. But Rabbi Weiber Rubinstein, so many insights in Chidushim. And uh, you give Chizuk. That's what it is. You give Chizuk on the topic, bitter or better. Very, very powerful. But if you give us, leave us with one final grandstand, one final message, whether we'll preach it or have a It's easy peasy. If I was to move the camera across there, you'll see a huge file. It's literally a page, sheet, sheets of paper of my sheet of room. So it must be about two, three thousand. Um, but I only really teach two things. And the important thing is um, it relates to what we we're saying before. Rabbi Nessa says the Hebrew word for evil is ra. Reish Ayin. When you ask people what's the opposite of Ra, they say Tov, which is true, but he says, Rabbi Dessa says something more important. He says the opposite of Reish Ayin is Ayin Reish. And Ayin Reish is the word air, is the root of the word heat or a root, a catalyst, an awakening, a, a wake up call. And sometimes when you go through really bad times, as we mentioned before, Avram Avino had a terrible father. Um, the Jewish people had a terrible experience in Egypt. Um, Holman tried to kill us. I mean, so many experiences. But that you can turn into positive, the better and the bitter, as we said before. Our we hear carrying that theme forward, and that's the most important message. I think of all. That's what it says in the beginning of Birke Avot. If you want to succeed in life, in any sphere of life, you want to learn to play the guitar? Get a teacher. You want to learn to do math properly? Get a teacher. You want to learn to, to dance, to skate, to ski, scuba dive? Get a teacher. I play the guitar very badly because I taught myself. Big mistake. Get somebody who can teach you. Well, the most important project in your life is your life. And don't try and teach yourself. Get yourself a rabbi. And what happened to this coming up to this week's Pasha? And I think in the Kutzel Arts, we're, re, uh, we're reading the Korach. Coming up to Korach. Yeah, coming up to Korach. That's when he jettisoned his teacher. He thought he could do it himself. He could be the teacher. Big mistake. We Nobody can see themselves clearly, objectively. You need somebody who's on your side, but will, if necessary, say you're going in the wrong direction. I'll finish with one brilliant idea from somebody called Rapsimcha Vassiman. I think it's the first Ashkenazi rabbi, apart from Ramat Siod, I've mentioned in our podcast. Rapsimcha Vassiman related to Rabbi Khanan Vassiman? His son. His son, right. He was huge. He, made the, he was huge in making... South Africa, when an entire country became Balichuva, 
he was a big part of that. Los Angeles as well, being from part of Los Angeles, part of his legacy too. He says, the, you know the Talmud, he says, says that if, a, if your rabbi tells you your right hand is your left hand and your left hand is your right hand, believe them. And I was very close to my role of the Gates of Rome. But if he said to me, Yehuda Yonah, um, or... Why, why is Yehuda Yonah? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. People don't even know that. They think, you know, the Korosh won't be Israel. Why not? Why, why? Anyway, so <laughs> why not? Anyway, but if he, if, he's, if he said Yehuda Yonah, your right hand, which is where I wear my watch, is your left hand. And I'm supposed to believe him, I would go, <laughs> of course you won't. But he says something brilliant. But some Kavasman says, when the rabbis chose a metaphor, an analogy, it wasn't accidental. It was cleverly designed to illustrate the point they're trying to illustrate. Because they could have said, if your rabbi tells you black is white and white is black, believe him. Or oh, it's cold, cold, it's hot. Fat is thin, thin is fat. Tall is small, small is hot. Why did they say, if your rabbi tells you right hand is right left hand? Good question. Because you know what they're telling you? They're telling you, if he tells you that, turn around 180 degrees. If I turn around 180 degrees, where my left hand was, is now my right hand. You have to be able to find someone who you'll be willing to listen to in life when it's talking about the most important project of your life, which is your life, when he's giving you advice that if he tells you you're going completely in the wrong direction, turn around, you'll listen and act on that. You want to succeed as a Jew? You want to succeed at anything, get a teacher. But if you want to succeed as a Jew, make sure, and it's in the masculine, if you're a woman listening to this, Get to a woman, a good woman with Torah knowledge and a good reputation as an advisor who can help you get back on track. Unbelievable, amazing, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein. Three things that stick out to recap. Number one, bitter or better. When we have difficulties in life, we have a choice to make it better, to become better, to be, you know, better over the Hashem, servants of God or make yourself, uh, your life into a bitter and sad and depression, etc. Obviously, we should choose the better. The Ra and the Ra, which is negative, bad, backwards, air, elite or air, that's a beautiful Kiddush. It's either that uh, we have bad, or we could awaken. We could go the opposite Inspiration. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And the Kiddush right now, with Simcha Wasman with the right hand and the left hand, and turning out beautiful, powerful, unbelievable. Rabbi Wyrey Rubenstein, we really appreciate your time. Your time is so precious, and it means so much that you've agreed to join us on the Chazak Torah Talks podcast program. Uh, we want to wish you much continued hatzlacha, spreading the light. The 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 news farm the rabbi is working on. We want to remind everyone, please make sure to visit and, and make sure to purchase. Just for the record, Rabbi Wyrey, I have the books on my shelf. Just for the record, on a personal level, it was a Chazak event. I remember I, I got it from the rabbi, but make sure everyone listening to the podcast, to the program, please visit askrabbiyy.com. On the website, they can ask you anything also. Is that the way it yes, works, right? Of course. Unbelievable. Yeah. Askrabbiyy.com. And uh, we want to uh, remind everyone every single Tuesday night, chazag.org slash five, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, special guest, Torah Talks. Uh, next week, we have Rabbi Ellie Stefanski from uh, MDY, uh, from Eretz Yisrael. We're going to be talking Torah with him. Uh, right before the new Masechet of Daf Yomi, uh, Masechet uh, Tuvot. We just uh, were finishing up uh, Yevamot. So we're going to go through uh, that experience. Very interesting. And uh, once again, Rabbi Huawei, thank you very much. Always an honor to be part of Chazak. Ah, amazing. Shout out to Rabbi and uh, the entire Chazak office team, Natan, Natan. 
Rahman, the whole uh, Izzy, the whole team over here in the back end over here. And uh, shout out to Torani Time for uh, hosting this uh, along with all the different platforms and, 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 and Jewish podcasts and all the other good stuff. And we want to give one last shout out to Daily Giving. That org, a dollar a day, goes very, very far away. Have an amazing day, everyone, and night. And uh, we should all be so married to see the Giyulash Lema, the complete redemption. She can't be married, but I mean, it's feeling our days. Amen. Amen.